Now, most of you know I'm a bit different. Surprised someone didn't shout amen there. So we are going to touch on thankfulness, but I want to call your attention to the faithfulness of God. Because you can't be thankful for things without something happening. And our God is faithful. So that's my plan today. My title is The Faithfulness of God. But first, since we are right at the Thanksgiving holiday, I I do want to tell you a quick story about a man in Phoenix who had called his son in New York the day before Thanksgiving. And he called and he spoke to his son and he says, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing after 55 years. 55 years of misery is enough, he said. Pop, what are you talking about, the son screams. We can't stand the sight of each other, the father says. We're sick of each other, and I'm sick of talking about this, so you call your sister in Chicago and you tell her. So, as you can imagine, frantic, the son calls his sister, who explodes on the phone. They are not, she says. I'll take care of this. She calls Phoenix immediately and screams at her father, You are not getting a divorce. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back and we will both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do anything. Do you hear me? And then she hangs up. And the old man hangs up his phone, turns to his wife and says, Not only are they coming for Thanksgiving, but they're paying their own way. Sometimes we have to be creative. But how much do you know about Thanksgiving? How much do you know about what happened? And from a Christian viewpoint, well, to help help fill in those blanks, what I want to do is I want to show you a quick video about what Thanksgiving really was and how it happened. In 1609, a group of pilgrims left England for religious freedom in Holland, where they lived and they prospered. But after a few years, their children were being influenced by Dutch culture. This worried the pilgrims. They considered the Dutch frivolous and their ideas a threat to their children's education and morality. This group of Bible believers decided to leave Holland and travel to the New World. On September 6, 1620, the pilgrims set sail for the New World on a ship called the Mayflower. They sailed from Plymouth, England, and aboard were 44 pilgrims and 66 others who the pilgrims called strangers. The long trip was cold and damp and took 65 days. Many passengers became sick and one person died by the time land was sighted on November 10th. After land was sighted, a meeting was held and an agreement was worked out called the Mayflower Compact, which guaranteed equality and unified the two groups. 
they joined together and named themselves the Pilgrims. Although they had first sighted land off Cape Cod, they did not settle until they arrived at Plymouth. The Pilgrims' biggest concern was attacked by local Native American Indians, but the tribe that was there were a peaceful group and did not prove to be a threat whatsoever. The first winter was devastating to the Pilgrims. The cold, snow, and sleet was exceptionally heavy, interfering with the work as they tried to construct their settlement. Of the 110 pilgrims and crew who left England, less than 50 survived that first winter. On March 16, 1621, what was to become an important event took place. An Indian brave walked into the Plymouth settlement. The pilgrims were frightened until the Indian called out, welcome in English. His name was Samoset. Samoset left the next day. He soon returned with another Indian named Squanto. It was Squanto who taught the pilgrims how to tap maple trees for sap. He also taught them to plant crops. The harvest in October was very successful and the pilgrims found themselves with enough food to put away for the winter. They had built homes in the wilderness they had raised enough crops to keep them alive during the long coming winter. They were at peace with their Indian neighbors. They had beaten the odds and it was time to celebrate. Governor William Bradford proclaimed a day of thanksgiving to be shared by all the colonists and the neighboring Native Americans. They invited Squanto and the other Indians to join them in their celebration which lasted for three full days. The following year, the pilgrims' harvest was not as bountiful. They were still unaccustomed to growing corn. The third year brought a spring and summer that was hot and dry, with the crops dying in the field. Governor Bradford ordered a day of fasting and prayer, and it was soon thereafter that the rain came to celebrate November 29th of that year was proclaimed a day of thanksgiving. This day is believed to be the real true beginning of our present Thanksgiving Day celebration. The custom of an annually celebrated Thanksgiving held after the harvest continued through the years. During the American Revolution in the late 1770s, a day of national thanksgiving was suggested by the Continental Congress. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln appointed a national day of thanksgiving. And since then, each president has issued a thanksgiving day proclamation, usually designating the fourth Thursday of each November as this holiday. We need to be thankful for what God has given to us as a nation, for our godly foundation, and for the Christian heritage that we have received from our founding fathers. On this Thanksgiving Day Sunday, we take time to celebrate Thanksgiving with our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for blessing these United States of America.
Did you see how much God influenced those people? The whole point was to get away from the things that were attacking their children. And we have that even today. I love the fact that when they got there, they tried it on their own and failed. Then someone came alongside them to help them, to lift them up, and they were successful. But not permanently, right? The next year wasn't so great. But then the following year was. Christian, that's what it's like in our lives, isn't it? We try to do things on our own, and what happens? Sometimes we fall flat in our face. But then someone comes alongside us to lift us up, to help us, and things are good. But they're not perfect. They don't stay that way. We will have hard times in this life. But we have a God who is faithful, who always comes through for us. So what's the definition of thanksgiving in your eyes? It's to give thanks, right? That's easy. That phrase, give thanks, is used 45 different times in the Bible. We see one right here. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to what? Give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Giving thanks to God. So what are we giving? We're giving thanks. How are we giving thanks? Through prayer. Ah, okay. Now I'm starting to understand this a little bit more. So really, it's prayers giving when you think about it. But how many actually are praying and thanking? I mean, sure, at dinner, it's real quick. Thank you for this food. So let's find out now how that works. Take your Bible and let's open it up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, looking at verse 13. It says we are bound to give thanks. How often? Always. Always. To God for you. Thanking God for someone. That should be a model in our lives. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Here's a different way to say that. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, brothers and sisters who are loved by the Lord. We can't, we can't help but thank God for you because you're so influential in our lives. You're so, you're so helpful to us. We can't help but thank God for you. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. 
This is what was written. It's not for the thing that they had. It's not for the thing that they got. They were thankful for the people that were put into their lives. Because that is what makes the difference. If I give you $1,000, that'll help. You'll be able to pay your bill. You'll be able to do something. But here's the funny thing about bills. When you pay it this month, next month, it comes right back. There's another one. But the people in your life that come alongside you and help you to get through these things, those are with you continuously. Verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to obtaining the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions to which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. He says, to always, continuously, stand fast and hold with unconditional love. And when you hear that stand fast and hold to the tradition, what do you think about stand fast? Standing fast means to be ready. It means to uh, fortify oneself, to be immovable, to have a solid grip on. When I think about that, I think about someone being on a ship. Has anybody ever been on a cruise before? I've never been on a cruise, so I don't know. But do you get this, this thing on a cruise? Do you, do you ever get that where you... You're going back and forth. So what happens when that happens to you? Yeah, you do. That's your first instinct, right? No one has to say, Nancy, hold on to something. You just you automatically know, I'm going to hold on. That's stand fast. Hold on. Because something in your life is going to come in, and it's going to shake things up. And if you don't hold on to the things that you have, then you're just going to fall over. So what things do they need to hold on to? Well, it says, stand fast and hold the traditions what you have been taught. What's a tradition? That doesn't make any sense. Here's where Scripture is written in a, in a language at a time that's different than what we talk about. When I say the word tradition to you, what do you think? Oh, well, it's stuff we used to do. Our tradition is putting up the Christmas tree on December 1st, or like some people, April 12th. <laughs> you know, you, you know who you are. Traditions are not things that we just do. This tradition really talks about the oral stories. You see, not everybody had a Bible that's in your lap. You guys are so fortunate. You have the word of the living God, his love letter to you, sitting in your lap right now. A lot of people don't have that. And what do we do? We put it on our shelf at home. Or we leave it in our pew here. We don't cling to us. We, we don't, look, if I leave the house and I don't have this, I start to get a little panicky. Okay? 
That's exactly how it should be with our Bibles. But these traditions is all they had, these oral stories, telling them about what Jesus did. So he's saying, hold fast to the things that you've been taught through those stories. Hold on to them. When life comes and it starts knocking you this way and that way, hold on to those stories. Verse 16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. What's he going to do? Next verse, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Comfort your heart and establish you. Again, how many of you all have been established this week? It's hard to understand. When you see a word like there and it doesn't make sense, look it up. You can Google it nowadays and find out what it actually meant. Well, I'm going to show you what it meant. Mike, can you come here for a second? Comfort. This is a peace, a relaxing comfort. So, Mike, if you've ever been on a ladder... You could just stand up there like that, okay? And if you've ever had to reach something way up high, up higher, way higher, you know, you actually put the ladder a little too close, so you're kind of reaching behind you more. A little bit, yeah, yeah, a little to the left, right? Okay, you see what's happening? To, you see what he's doing? Oh, what happened there? Yeah, he lost his balance, right? Okay, now do that again, okay? Now lean back on me and do it. How far can you lean back? Look at this. You see how far he's leaning back? He could go, okay, do a flip now, the whole way. <laughs> Thanks, bud. You see, with someone establishing you or holding you or keeping you in position and keeping you firm, you can do way more than what you could do on your own, amen? So what he's saying here is that God will not only give you a peace this comfort that you so desperately need, but he is going to make sure that you're stabilized. So all you have to do is hold on to what you were taught and have the comfort and trust to know that he is faithful and he is true and he will hold you from being moved from where you're at. That's what this verse is trying to say. It's an eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. And you can go through life saying, look, Ma, no hands. But is it better to be thankful for something or to be the reason that someone is thankful? We're all thankful for the things that we have, but you could be the reason that someone else is thankful. Boy, that's head and shoulders over the first one. Most people, um, but well, you know, let's talk about this for a second. The Dave Ramsey thing that we're going to be starting in January. If you've not ever listened to that, you can go online and listen to some of his things. As people go through this progression, they get out of debt, <clears throat> they pay off their house, they fund their retirement, and then they begin to give generously. And all the people that they interview say, you don't have any idea 
and what it feels like and how much fun it is to bless someone else. To be the reason that someone is thankful is so fulfilling, is so exciting. We need to do that in our lives. It's so much better to, instead of writing a check and handing it, to come alongside and say, what is it that you need? Let's pray about it together. Even if you could meet that need, let's pray about it together. Be that reason. All right, looking at chapter 3, verse 1, as we go down through here. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. That means to spread rapidly. Pray for us that this message will spread rapidly, that it will get out there among people so they'll understand it and be glorified. When you see the word glorified, I want you thinking in your mind, honored, respected, valued. That's what glorified means, even as it is with you. And that they may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Do you all have reason, unreasonable and wicked men in your lives? Don't look beside you. The people that you work with, maybe even some people in your family, they're unreasonable and they're lost and they don't see the value that you put in God. For not all men have faith. Did you know that? Not all men have faith. Not everybody in your family, in your circle, at work, at school, at whatever, is going to have faith. They're not going to have faith. We could have faith, but sometimes it's hard to have faith, right? But we don't have to worry about it. Why? The next verse tells us. It says, but the Lord is... Yeah, but the Lord is faithful. You see, there's wicked men that don't have faith, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful, and he will, what is he going to do with you again? Establish you. You remember what that is. Mike remembers what that is. And he will keep you. That word keep is a word that is most easily understood by basketball. In basketball, there's a person called a guard do you know what the guard does in basketball? Yeah, he guards, right. So this person, as you're coming up, Mike, you want to play again? He's like, I'm next service, I'm moving to the back. That's all he's got to say, okay? The guard, as you're playing basketball, he's anticipating the moves. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah, every move, every move is countered. Every step, protecting what's behind. You're not getting through here. That's that word, guard. God is guarding us. Look at that verse one more time. <clears throat> the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. He will guard you from evil. Evil will come over and over and over and over and over again. And it continues to guard you all the time. 
And if we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things that we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts unto the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. He's saying that God is going to guard you, but also you will do the things that we command. You're faithful to do it. You're not going to be hearers of the word only, but you're going to be doers of the word. So what kinds of things are they teaching? There's three different things that they're teaching. They're teaching doctrinal stuff. They're teaching ceremonial type stuff. And they're teaching moral type stuff. What is that? Well, I'll give you an example real quick. Something that's doctrinal. For I delivered to you first of all that which I would also receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. This is doctrinal. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There are churches, so-called churches out there, that say Jesus was just an angel. <clears throat> Jesus didn't really die on the cross. It was faked. That's bad doctrine. The doctrine is that Christ died for our sins once and for all. So they were taught doctrine. They were taught the ceremonial things, the things that they're supposed to do. For I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the night the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, there it is again, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he said, This do in remembrance of me. These are things you're going to do to remember what God did for us. This is a more of a ceremonial thing. To remember what Jesus did. And the last one's really a moral thing. My dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Stay away from believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. This isn't unbelievers, but this is believers. Stay back away from those believers that have idle lives. Or what this word really means, idle is not just sitting there. Idle means undisciplined lives. You say you're a Christian, but you don't live that way. You need to stay away from those types of people. Don't, they don't follow the tradition that they receive from us. So thanksgiving is about being and giving thankful for something or for someone. And many of us are thankful because God brought us through something. Maybe you have a job and it takes some pressure off. Or maybe you, you lost your job and you don't have your job and you're not sure what to do. You know today that God is faithful. Perhaps your diagnosis is not getting any worse. That's something to be thankful for. 
Or maybe you're still deep in that battle. But you know the story, right? You know the story. The disciples were in a boat. There was a storm. Jesus came walking on the water. Peter called out to him. Jesus said, get out of the boat. And we give Peter credit for having enough faith to follow Jesus' command. But when you think about it, knowing who Jesus was and is, it was an easy choice because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Knowing that Jesus is faithful takes off a lot of that pressure. So, what about us? If we're, if we're faithless, if we lose our faith, what happens? See, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. It is who he is. Did you ever say that about somebody? That's just the way they are. They're just that way. That's just the way he is. He can't help but be faithful. Always there. Someone you can lean on. Someone you can have absolute confidence that they'll do what they said that they will do and that they'll be there for you. So if you've not yet gotten to the point where you can feel thankful, remember, he's faithful. That takes the pressure off. Because you don't have to worry about the how. You don't have to worry about the how. But instead, take comfort in knowing the who. Does that make sense? Don't have to worry about how you're going to be able to pay that. Don't worry about how you're going to get through this diagnosis. You know who is faithful. And that will get us through. So this week, as you celebrate with those whom you love, remember the verse spoken by the one whom Jesus loved. He said, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called what? Faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. He is called faithful and true, and he's coming back. Are you ready? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you thanked him with a changed life? Or did you just say a simple prayer and figure, I'll just come to church and sit? That life needs to reflect the change. Have you been faithful to follow the teachings that you've been taught? Or the traditions you've been taught? Or are you like many of us, where his voice and our attention is drowned out by the noise and the cares of this life? Go ahead and close your Bibles and we'll ask the musicians to come up. Don't miss this opportunity to be thankful. This Thanksgiving season gives us the opportunity to tell people that we're thankful for them. 
that we appreciate them. And don't miss this opportunity to remember that your Lord is faithful and true and that he will always be there. You may change. You may be tossed by the waves. But if you hold fast to the truth of who he is, you'll never fail. God will take care of you. You just have to have a little bit of faith in knowing who he is. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I am thankful that you're faithful. And Lord, I'm a sinner that can't do it alone. You know, maybe there's believers out here that are ashamed of their walk as Christians. But you said that we don't have to stay this way. Lord, make this a thanksgiving to remember. You traded heaven for Harry. On the cross, you chose pain to get Patricia. And you provided salvation for Sarah. Thank you for being faithful. God, help us to remember that today. In Jesus' name, amen.